0: Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Well, good morning, everyone. It is the third Sunday of Advent, also known as Godette Sunday. And the traditional theme of this Sunday is joy, okay? Specifically, though, joy within the context, the greater theme of Advent. And that is what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Wouldn't it be amusing if I started with that opening and then said, well, we're going to talk about something completely different. Uh, But no, we're going to talk about joy this morning. (laughs) So Mike's done a fantastic job over the past two Sundays of... uh, Uh, explaining and talking about Advent. And for those new faces in the room, I am not the pastor. Please do not lay judgment on our little church based off of me or what I'm doing up here. I'm merely filling in. Uh, But as we go into the message this morning, I'm going to just give you a few things, a little bit of a reminder about Advent and what we've learned and what we've talked about just just to refresh and give us the context, okay? So Advent... If we uncapitalize it, okay, means the arrival of a notable person or event. Plain and simple. It comes from the Latin word that literally means it's coming. So that's what Advent means. Uh, uncapitalized, of course, capitalized, it means the holiday in the church, or at least the period of the church calendar. Now, tradition holds that we as Christmas use the time of Advent to prepare and to anticipate and wait for Christ in three ways, okay, three ways. So the first one is we're remembering and honoring the ancient world's anticipation of the Messiah, that there was an entire people of God, and still is, who were just desperately waiting for this Messiah figure to be born and to come into the world, and that happened during Christmas, in the birth of Christ. So we're honoring that. We're having that memory. That's one of the ways that we prepare for Christ's coming during Advent. The second one is the Advent of Christ in our own personal lives on a daily basis and a weekly basis. And we're inviting God into our lives and his presence into us. And it's something we do every time we pray, every time we gather, every time we worship. It's an invitation it's a, a request. It's a reminder. It's like, please, God, still still be there. Still support me. I still want this relationship. So that's that's the second uh, uh, way we recognize uh, the advent of Christ. The final one is the future coming of Christ, when he ushers in a new kingdom in glory. And we are preparing for that, and we're anticipating that. And all three of them, past, present, and future, kind of merged together into the same sense of anticipation and the same sense of preparation and thoughts of, of uh, us cleansing and hoping and seeing anew. So, um, these correspond with the themes of the first three Sundays in Advent. The first three Sundays of Advent, the traditional themes... Our hope, peace, and, of course, this is the Sunday of joy. All right, so that's Advent. So Let's talk about joy. What's joy? It's an emotion, okay? It's a feeling you feel. Now, modern pop culture, our songs, our TV shows, our books, they want to paint our range of emotions in really big, broad strokes, okay? And they want to throw everything under these huge... Umbrella, inclusive sense of emotions. Mad. We're not going to cut it any finer than that. You're mad or you're not. You're angry or you're calm. You are happy or you are sad. We don't need to distinguish types of happiness or types of sadness. No, no. Happy, sad, angry, calm, fearful, or brave. Just big, inclusive ideas. And I've always been interested how we... As a species, humanity, we have a tendency to want to gravitate towards binary options, okay? And when we put it in the context of theology, it's a concept called dualism. Uh, But theologically or not, what we're talking about is we're talking about two things which are more or less equal and are mutually exclusive, black or white, off or on, hot or cold, um, and then uh, good and evil, happy and sad. You're either one or the other, and taken from this perspective, joy is just, just another word for happy. Just another word for happy. Uh, American culture in particular really wants to boil everything down for simplicity's sake. The world, however, is a lot more complicated than that. And people are the, by far one of the most complicated things in the world. So if you talk to psychiatrists or you read their papers, uh, eventually you're going to come across the fact that uh, there are between 50 and 90 distinct emotions that a human being can feel, and those are just the ones they've identified so far. There's some crazy to talk about 180, but the general consensus is we're running somewhere between 50 and 90 that everybody can agree on. Think about that. I can't name 90 emotions off the top of my head. But they're there, they're identified. And um, uh, it's just so interesting, though, that they're specific and they're universal. So, so what does that mean? Well, it's very simple. Uh, what makes Marcus jealous may not make me jealous. And what makes me jealous may not make Marcus jealous. But the feeling of jealousy regardless of what triggered it, is the same. That's a universal feeling. Anybody who's a human, all the history of, 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 of humanity, if we say jealousy, and they say, yes, I felt that way, they're talking about the same feeling as anybody else. Even if it's triggered differently, or it's shown differently, or that individual reacts differently, when we come back to how that person feels, It's universal. Each of these ideas. And joy is one of these emotions. It's distinct from happy or euphoria or contentment. So, what exactly is joy? Well, how can we kind of try to define it? Joy is an intense, great feeling of happiness that is spiritual in nature and effect. The simplest way I can say this to you is you feel happy in your heart, you feel joy in your soul. Happiness is fleeting. Joy changes you. Joy leaves a mark upon your spiritual nature. and They can't go away. It's always there. I'll give you an example. When Jonah, my oldest son, was born, okay? I knew that I was supposed to feel joyful when he's born, right? And that first moment, we've all seen the movie, right? Uh, magically, a baby appears behind the cape and the drape and with the doctor and, and the mom, and then they come and they hold it to you, and you're supposed to hold it and just feel this intense moment. The song's playing in the background. There's a montage to stuff that happened earlier in the movie that all of a sudden makes sense now. I mean, this is what pop culture has prepared us for, right? So I know, oldest son, first son, I'm supposed to feel joyful, And when I did hold him for the very first time in the hospital, the main thing I felt was exhaustion. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, it was a difficult birth. It was a very, very difficult birth for a lot of different reasons. It was also late at night, and I'm letting you know that. And it was just exhausting. And this is not for you to feel sorry for my wife. I'm the victim here, (laughs) okay? I had to do plenty of work involved, I was exhausted. Um, And then, okay, I was still happy. I was really happy it was over. Everyone was more or less okay. And that the baby was finally here. I had moments of happiness. But we took him home, and a lot of my thoughts and feelings were wrapped up in this new project of Keep the Baby Alive. Keep the baby alive and keep your wife sane. And that was a full-time job, like a -a 90-hour-a-week job right then and there, those two projects. And uh, I just, you know, just didn't get that moment until later. And I did get my moment of joy. Uh, It didn't happen when or where I thought it would. didn't happen in the hospital. didn't happen the first couple of days. But it did happen. No, I was uh, I was sitting on the couch, leaning back on a cushion, holding him on my chest as an infant, real young, maybe a week, two weeks. And he reached down, he he grabbed my finger, and he gave me a toothless baby grin. It's the kind of smile that only a baby can give. No motives, no designs, no thoughts <laughs> behind it really. Uh, just pure. Innocent, unadulterated, happy, and safety, and security. Well, that that baby was just always right in the world, and it felt warm, and loved, and safe, and he put his head on my chest, and he fell right asleep. And it wasn't the first time he had done any of those things. It wasn't the first time he had done any of those things. But in that moment... I was overcome with a feeling of joy, of love, and triumph, and pride, and gratitude, and thankfulness, and a hundred other things I can't even name. All just kind of hit me at once, and the world fell away. And worries, and thoughts, and plans, and past, and future, it was just all just kind of gone. And for that one moment, it was just the moment, and just that feeling. That's joy. Now that uh, Jonah is growing into a preteen, the memory of that moment, that feeling, has saved his life. (laughs) More than once. It will probably save his life in the future, too. He should be grateful (laughs) that that moment happened. But that's joy. It's not merely being happy, okay? It's not a physical pleasure. But we gotta remember also that this is the season of Advent. We're not talking about joy now. I'm not trying to get you to feel joyful this morning, although hallelujah if you do. We're talking about joy that is to come. We're talking about a very specific joy, the anticipation, the faith, the belief that we will receive that specific joy in our lives and in our soul, that through this birth that is coming, this Christmas event, and through the return that's foretold for later, we will find joy in Jesus. So grab a Bible if you've got one and Open that up to Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. I am going to read it out loud, so if you'd rather just sit and listen to it, I'm not going to criticize you if I don't see your nose buried in a book. Uh, but our scripture this morning is Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. Now, our story, where we pick it up, is going to tell us about a different birth that is caused for great joy, that of John the Baptist, now before I read it, I want to remind you that this is a pregnancy that came to an elderly woman who had been infertile her entire life and now was past the age where anybody in the right mind would try to have a baby. And she's pregnant. And her Zachariah, her husband, has been struck dumb for questioning an angel of the Lord. So that's where we are in the moment. Here we go. Verse 57. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. We're breaking tradition here, so we're going to go to the patriarch. What do you want to name the baby? And Zachariah asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosened, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was upon him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, and he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. While this whole thing is important, it is Scripture, I want to focus this morning on Zechariah's prophecy because it describes the joy we are promised, that we are anticipating right now in this time of Advent. It's a joy born out of God's mercy and forgiveness. It is redemption and salvation. It is being saved from our enemies, and I don't think he's talking about Roman military troops when he uses the word enemies. Those are earthly, temporal enemies, which are largely insignificant back then and today. This is a prophecy from the Holy Spirit. It is beyond earthly, temporal things. So, who are these enemies? These enemies he's talking about are temptation, sin, doubt, loneliness. We're Christians. God is in your life. You are never alone. You are never alone. And yet we feel, I feel sometimes, so lonely, so isolated. Abandoned. Have you ever uh, heard of seasonal affective disorder? SAD or SAD? It's a clinical, psychological issue where sufferers fall into a cycle of depression that's tied to the seasons of the year. And while it's not exclusively winter-based, most who suffer from SAD have it hit them in the winter. Symptoms are, tell me if any of this sounds familiar, wanting to sleep all the time, weight gain associated with comfort food and lack of exercise, a complete lack of motivation, no desire to socialize, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It seems typical, right? It seems typical, (coughs) but worst cases require hospitalization. And can even lead to death. Uh, and even if you don't have full-blown SAD, and about fifteen percent of the population is actually can be diagnosed with uh, with it to a greater or lesser degree, I think we can all recognize the feelings I'm describing. Okay, there are reasons why every Northern European culture has a winter holiday. They've all got a winter holiday. And ultimately, if we're just going to just come out and say it, it's because people die in the winter. Particularly before our modern conveniences, before central air and heat and the flu vaccine. People die in the winter, and the people who die are usually kids and the elderly in the history of humanity. Uh, Food stores may not last through the winter, and it's the ones who are already frail and weak who that's kind of a nail in their coffin. So they had a holiday, a big party, because you knew that it was probably the last time you're going to see at least one familiar face in the room. It might even be you. So you want to go out with a bang. Let's have a, a party and pull out all the stops. Let's drink all the things. Let's eat everything that's going to spoil. Let's give each other gifts. Let's share this time in community and love. And uh, while that's not really an issue anymore, because we have central air and heat, and our wives make, it turn on, make us turn it on in the winter, uh, and we have the flu vaccine, and we have medicine and things of this nature, but the social effect that still lives on today. We still feel as a society that kind of sense that the winter is a period and a time of loss. A winter is a period and a time of loss. And so we reminisce. We get nostalgic. We remember Christmas's past. I remember what it was like to be a kid. And the world's not that magical anymore. We remember seeing our grandparents who we've buried long since. It's a time of, of, of bittersweet memories. We reconnect, desperate to, 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 to reconnect. You're that one person who you haven't thought of at all for an entire year. Their name, their face, they didn't exist for an entire year. Well, now you send them a Christmas card. Hey, we're still friends, right? You're on my list. Hope you like it. It's a tree. Tis the season to be melancholy. really is. Now, I, for my part, I'm a man of many hobbies, and some of those hobbies come with a lot of stuff. I do woodworking, so I have more than my share of tools, and I love to read, and I have more than my share of books. And I have collections of various things and, 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 and hobbies that I do. And I love my hobbies. And I love the stuff that comes with my hobbies. And I take happiness and pride from all that stuff. But when I'm wrestling with depression, which I do, sometimes I look around in my stuff, the evidence of these hobbies, and it all just seems so pointless. It really does. So devoid of value. It seems obvious. I'm just distracting myself from the meaninglessness of my own existence. Trying to create a little piece of happiness right now, will little serotonin flash in the head. And in reality, there's no value at all. The consistent universal question of mankind, since we crawled out of the trees however many thousands of years ago and figured out how to make pointy sticks and fire, is what is the meaning of life? What's the purpose of my existence if life is so short and so fleeting and so fragile and death so final? What's the point? What's the point? Faith in Christ gives us the answer to these questions. Our solution is a life of faith. Because life is short and life is fleeting, but death is not final. It's not. Your life has meaning, it has a purpose. But these are truths that can only be realized, found, and accepted through faith. The joy we are waiting to advent in this season, the one that culminated with a birth in a manger more than 2,000 years ago, the one we're waiting to receive when Christ comes again in glory to bring the kingdom in fullness, the one we reach out for in prayer and thought and song, on a daily and weekly basis, that is our joy. That is the Christian joy that we have and are entitled to and is promised to us. It is the overwhelming feeling of happiness in our soul as we receive confirmation that God keeps his promises, that we are forgiven, that death is defeated, that that Jesus loves us. I teach Sunday school to the little ones in the back, and the lesson we hammer into their heads every week, no matter what the topic is, is a lesson that you need to hear and I need to hear today as an adult, and it's very simple. Jesus loves you each and every one, unquestionably. It's not knowledge, by the way. We're not talking about knowledge of these things. We're talking, it's not a confirmation of scientific method. It's the feeling, it's the emotional state of accepting the truth in spite of all else and being accepted by that truth, in turn, it is an equitable exchange between us and Christ, us and God. Mm. Joy. It's holy. It's a holiness we get to partake of on our own accord. Not a miracle that's given to us by God. No, it's something that wells up from within us that's prompted by God. It's how angels are described. Rejoicing. Let's go back to Zachariah's prophecy in our Luke passage. Now, confession. I don't know how many times I've read it and blown right past it seems pretty formulaic, and especially if you're reading large swaths of Scripture, uh, that moment of, oh, God has mercy on someone that God afflicted, and then that someone sings or creates a psalm, that's, that's hardly unique in Scripture. We get that all through the Old Testament and not all that infrequently in the New. And honestly, that passage always just kind of seemed like filler. Yeah, you know, just a little something. That's not why we're here. Nobody opens up the beginning of Luke for that. We want it 's the beginning of the gospel let 's get to Jesus being born, shepherds and, and wise men and majors there 's no Christmas carols about how Zechariah could finally speak that's no one 's put that to song and so I missed it on countless readings I missed it this isn 't a psalm. this is the entirety of the Old Testament. This is all the expectations that God has given us of him through his covenants and his nature revealed. The whole thing, it's right there. And it's not a summary. It's a prophecy. It's a statement that this will come to pass. So let me read it to you again. Just a prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel The oath he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, you, and you, and you, child, will be called prophet. Of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Short translation, it's happening. The fulfillment is here. It begins now. So take heart in this season of Advent, and I'm going to leave you with a final thought. Okay? If you ask the man on the street, when the most suicides occur in the year, Most will tell you it's during the winter and Christmas specifically. That is a very commonly held belief and statistically it's 100% wrong. 100% wrong. Suicides happen most often in the summer. In fact, Christmas time is the lowest incident of suicide in the year. So. How how can that be? Well, the answer is simple. Because in spite of SAD, in spite of the nostalgia and the melancholy and the memories, this is a season of hope. This is a season of love. And this is a season of waiting and expecting joy that is to come. So no matter how dark your thoughts or how bad your place is, joy will come. Not possibly, not maybe. This isn't the lottery. This is a guarantee. It's given to us by God who has never failed to keep his promises. Joy is coming prepare yourself.